Oh, I guess it's not. I was yelling because I knew it was on, and I, I thought it was in the booth. I apologize. So if, if you're online and you were, didn't pick any of that up, just uh, remember that if you're a guest joining us, we're glad that you're with us. You can text us at 94,000, HBF guests at 94,000. We'd love to be in contact with you. We're in the book of Isaiah 26 and verse 3. The Bible says there in Isaiah 26 and verse 3 uh, regarding perfect peace, the Lord says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Do you trust him this morning? I pray you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to continue this sermon on perfect peace. We ask a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. Now, if you've been with us this uh, last several weeks, of course, last week we had a great message by Gary uh, Haskell. Um, kind of been interrupting this, so I'm just going to do a quick review with you. We've been talking about perfect peace and how our theme is to obviously not just have perfect peace, but to be at peace so that we can de- deliver the gospel of peace. And then today we're going to talk about our need to be prepared for the coming of the Prince of Peace. And in a world that seems to be going mad, we've talked about how God has called us to be at peace. We talked about uh, how important it is to steward this commodity of peace. We have the gospel of peace, so we have the ability uh, to give peace. Uh, in in uh, Bhutan, the nation of Bhutan, they have a uh, they have a happiness index. They're the only nation in the world that it's like go- gross domestic happiness, and they and it's kind of a sham. But we literally, you can't deliver happiness, but you can't deliver peace through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gospel of peace. And we are the stewards of that. And we've talked about the importance of that and the need to be at peace so that we could deliver the peace. And uh, I use the illustration from history, which is so appropriate for where we are today about Neville Chamberlain's infamous declaration of peace in our time as he made uh, on September 30th, 1938, after returning from Munich, Germany, and signing the Munich Agreement with Adolf Hitler, France, and Germany, exchanging Czechoslovakia for peace. And he just knew that was lasting peace. Of course, it lasted less than a year, and uh, we were right in the middle of World War II. And uh, now it's, it's a very infamous uh, st- uh, speech that he gave there when he landed in, Euro- in uh, England, uh, but the, U- the European power brokers gave Hitler uh, what they thought would pay him off. The problem was they were not prepared uh, to really go to war, and so Hitler was not deterred at all, and he wasn't going to be bought off. And you know what happened. History is, tells the rest of the story. So uh, that principle that we looked at is you can't really have peace if you're not prepared to go to war because we live in a, in a contested property. This earth is contested by uh, the devil himself. He wants, to, he wants back... Uh, what he has lost, and Adam's sinful race now is in the way of that because Jesus Christ has died to redeem it. And we are now the ambassadors for Christ that take that gospel to where it needs to go on time. And so we know that we're not going to be good at getting it there if we're not at peace. We saw our need to understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the person of peace, and that this world has a false illusion of peace. And we understand that the, the peace is always under assault, uh, and that we understand that there's different seasons of peace. There's calm, there's peace in the storm, there's peace after the storm, but we're to always be prepared, no matter what, for the spiritual war that we're in. And then we saw the need to to not only be at peace, but deliver the gospel of peace, to destroy the disobedience in our personal lives, develop the fruit of the Spirit, and grow in grace as we grow in love and charity, and then be able to deploy faithful men and women as ambassadors for Christ. That's where we left off a couple weeks ago, and this morning we're going to pick it up on this third point the need to prepare for the return of the Prince of Peace. Because ultimately what we're doing in ministry here at HBF, and what reason this is tied into the vision update, is because there's actually a a long-term vision that we have to be tuned into. It's bigger than just what happens in 2022 or 2023, or even in the next seven or eight years if the Lord tarries. It actually goes on into eternity future, which, by the way, uh, we could be in the millennium in eight years, so uh, you just don't know. But the reality is is that we need to be looking forward uh, to uh, what we have in Christ, because Christ has an agenda, and we need to be about it. So our third uh, point of study in this series is prepare for the return of the Prince of Peace. So this morning, we're going to look at three things that we will all need to, to uh, consider ourselves ready for the return of the Prince of Peace. The first one is going to be to prepare your life. The second one is to prepare your home, and the third is to prepare the church. So under point A, under uh, under your outline there, preparing our life is so important. If you have your Bibles now, turn back to Genesis. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in Genesis. Uh, Genesis means beginnings. It's the book of beginnings. So if you're looking for Genesis, just go to the front of your Bible. It is the first book. And then flip back a few pages and you'll find yourself 
uh, in chapter 11 is where we're going to pick up the life of Abraham. Abraham uh, is the father of faith. He left the Ur Chaldees by faith. God called him out for a purpose, just like he's called us. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in Romans that we are all called, right? We're called into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, if you're saved today, God's uh, already called you to salvation. If you're lost today, that's the call that you're listening to. The Holy Ghost is calling you to be saved. He's like got the phone ringing and he won't shut up. The, 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 it's just ringing and ringing and ringing. The Holy Ghost is pressing upon your heart your need to be saved. You've got to pick up the phone and hear the gospel and receive the goodness of God and understand why his death, his burial, and his resurrection applies to your life. Now, something that happened 2,000 years ago almost, it applies to your life and my life today through the gospel. But then those of us that are saved, God has, he's taken us somewhere. He's taken us on a journey. Otherwise, we just get saved and God would just suck us up to heaven like a vacuum. We just get out of here. We wouldn't need to be here anymore. Uh, and so the reality is that God has a plan for us. He has a plan for your life and my life. He had a plan for Abraham's life. And uh, we see that in Genesis chapter 11. So let's just pick up at the end of chapter 11. Uh, by the way, the whole earth now has uh, is been split up. It's an interesting thing because when uh, in Genesis 11, um, the, the, all the languages of the planet got dispersed. And then in Acts chapter 2, as a sign that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, all the people could hear in their own tongue. And so God, he, he literally splits up the, the languages on the planet to keep men from destroying themselves. It was an act of mercy. Because if he let them go any further, they were gonna, they're going to go back to, back to Genesis 6 in a hurry. So he's like, okay, we're not having this. We're going to break this thing up. It's like when the, the federal government breaks up a monopoly. He's like, that's enough. We're going to break this down so that you guys uh, can, so I can finish my plan. And then in that same chapter, you see it ending with Abraham uh, and God's plan for the nations, right? Man has a plan, just like Satan has a plan, and then God has a plan. So as we pick up the text in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27, it's a genealogy, and it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Abram and, and Ab- I keep saying Abraham. Abram was his name uh, before um, he received uh, his name change uh, with the blessing of his promised seed. But uh, uh, he is Abram at this point. Uh, Nahor and Haran, and Haran begot Lot, that's his nephew. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The same of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son uh, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, as we look at this story, what in the world does that have to do with the vision update and being at peace? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm getting ready to tell you all that. Um, the reality is this morning is uh, when you look at this passage, you're going to see that God is doing something in Abram's life. But he's, right now, what we've read is he's attached to his father, and he went to a place called Haran. And uh, he was called out of the Ur of Chaldee. Now, you'll see if you go to the next chapter, chapter 12 and verse 1, this is a very famous chapter many of you are familiar with. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, out of <clears throat> from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, uh, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So what did Abraham do with that information? Verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So we get a kind of a, a benchmark there in verse 4 of chapter 12. So he's 75 when he leaves Haran, and then he begins to travel down to the promised land, of course, of which is uh, Jerusalem and uh, uh, Israel today, uh, which is the inheritance physically. And so what we see here is that if, if we're going we're gonna to have to prepare our life uh, to be prepared for the return of the Prince of Peace, if we really want to be ready when Jesus comes to catch away the church, the time to get ready is now, right? It's not some other day. It's not putting it off. 
now, the interesting thing about Abraham is Abraham followed God by faith, but he was slow to start, right? He followed him by faith, but he, he didn't launch out super fast. He went to Haran before he went to the, the promised land, and he hung out with his dad uh, until his father passed away at a good old age. And, uh, I mean, that's, a, that's pretty old, 200 years old. And so um, there's a slide on the, you can see the picture on the slide above. Abram left Ur, but he didn't make it to Canaan initially, uh, and he was close to the promised land, but not dwelling in the fullness of the promised land. And, uh, and so he had to wait till his dad was 205 years old, and he passes. Uh, and then, of course, he's now free to dwell in the promised land. He was free, I think, before, but he was with his father, and he was honoring his dad and uh, doing all those things. Uh, now, this morning, I want to just ask you, how many of you are walking by faith or by sight? I mean, really. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. But, but this is an issue where, for, as you can see Abraham's life, he's continually being challenged to walk by faith, not by sight. It's uncomfortable to walk by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we, what that really means is obeying God's word and doing what God says. It starts at salvation, but as we continue to be sanctified, right, God is always challenging us to continue in our faith, to walk by faith, not by sight. And so when I ask that question, another way of looking at that is how many of us are dwelling in the fullness of the promises of God? You know, and I, I, if I get my own checklist out, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, man, Lord, I think... I'm like Abraham. I may not move, be moving quite as quickly as I need to be, right? There, God challenges our faith so that we can grow, so we can be blessed, so we can rest in his promises. Abraham was moving a little slow, but he got underway. And when Abraham was 75 years old, after, pass, after the passing of his father, he left Haran in modern uh, Syria, and he traveled south to Canaan where God had called him. Now, we picked it up, and we saw in verse 4 that that uh, he was 75 years old. And at, at this time, God had blessed him in verse 2 and promised to make him a great na- nation and bless him and make him his name great and also to make him a blessing, right? All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through him. And you never are too old to follow God's call. Sometimes you can be discouraged and the devil will tell you, it's too late, it's too late, it's not too late. If you got air in your lungs, uh, then it's not too late. God can use you. Uh, above and beyond what you can ask or think. God desires to do a good work in and through you. He, he, he is going to use you if you let him. And he receives the call, Abram received the call to the promised land and, <clears throat> and the covenant promised seed in verses 1 through 4. So he's 75 years old and he's really just getting started in this. And we know if you've read through Genesis, there's a lot more to go. Right? God's going to do a lot of work in the last 25 plus years of his life. And so notice Abram calls on the Lord in, uh, in Morah near Shechem, uh, then dwells in a mountain east of Bethel and west of Ai. Now I want you to look at this because this is also very educational. In verse uh, 5 it goes on to say, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, uh, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram, verse 6, passed through the land of the, of the place of Sikkim unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land, which means these guys were uh, adversaries, and he wasn't really that happy to dwell there. Verse 7, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed, will I give this land unto, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going still toward the south. So you see here that Abram is, has built this altar. Now we see him worshiping. We haven't seen this before. And, and Abram calls on the name of the Lord in Morah near Shechem. And then he goes further and dwells on a mountain east of Bethel, west of Ai. And so... That's where he built this altar. Now, Bethel means house of God, and Ai means ruinous heap. And what is before Abraham, or Abram, I should say, to his west is the house of God, and what will be the house of God. And what lay to the east is his past. It's a ruinous heap. And if you go back, you know, you're going to have a ruinous heap. And if you go forward, you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, God has called us, uh, just like his disciples, to follow him. And Abram in this passage is... There's a type here. There's a picture. He's between the two, on a mountain between uh, the ruinous pass of Ai, which eventually Ai gets destroyed when Joshua invades, 
And then the other side is Bethel, the house of God, which there's going to be a lot more uh, covenant promises happen in the future. And so he's kind of in between. And then you notice in verse 9, what's he do? He goes south. And uh, he's kind of like in between. And then he's like, he goes south. Eventually there's a famine. I'm going to fast forward the tape if you read this story. And he ends up in Egypt. And he gets down in Egypt, and you know what? It's not going so good for him. So, uh, you know, before we jump into all that, I just want to mention that Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 says, but, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. You know, as a Christian, if you're going to be prepared for the catching away of the church, we're going to have to do some evaluation. You have to take a good hard look at your life and realize that the things of your past, uh, even the good things, right, are a ruinous heap compared to the things that God has in your future, right? If you really believe what the Bible says, there is a glory that's before you that's so much more, uh, it's so much better. Eternity is better than what you're leaving behind. But yet the world, the flesh, and the devil will try to convince you that, man, you can't give up. You can't give up this for that. And I really believe there's a picture here with Abraham. He's just kind of caught in the middle. He's worshiping God. He's not out of God's will, sort of like we saw with Peter, uh, right? He's right with God, but things just aren't quite right. And, of course, he has to have dinner with Jesus to find out what's going to get it right is you're going to have to go all in, Peter. You're going to have to give your life. And Peter says, sir, yes, sir. And uh, then he's able to cook with gas. And next thing you know, he's preaching to the multitudes and and blowing it up in Jerusalem, which happens to be part of this story as well. And so Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, says, you know, the things that, that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Now, Paul had some good things. It wasn't just like a big screen television or a car or a nice place to live. I mean, he was a doctor of the law. He had a lot of religious uh, things that were really good. He understood the law. He was, a, he was a lawyer of the lawyers. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So he, was, he had a lot of good things. He says, you know, compared to what I have in Christ, I count all that but dung. And by the way, when he said that, not a whole lot of people of, of note were receiving Christ. Right, the, the leaders of the of Rome they weren't down with Jesus. The leaders of Jerusalem weren't down with Jesus. His most of his peers and friends weren't down with Jesus. But you know what? Paul says, "I'm down with Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and identify with Jesus and his church, whether they be Jew or Greek. That's where I'm living. That's where I'm going. And I count that better than anything else I've ever had. I count everything I had as a Roman citizen, as a as a as a as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I count all that as dung, a pile of poo." compared to Christ and everything that God has for me. We're not talking about all the bad sin that he's done. We're talking about the best of his life, he says, is like dung compared to Christ. Well, wow, man, Paul, you're something else. And so so Paul says that in Philippians 3. He says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ win Christ. Well, I thought you already received Christ. I thought once you got saved, you already had him. Well, you do, right? But what's he after? Well, we know in 2 Timothy, he's after a crown, a crown of rejoicing. He's after, he wants God to wring as much grace out of his life as possible in the time he has so God can ultimately be glorified. He wants God to get the glory out of his life. And he's like, man, I, I want to win Christ. It's like that guy that's chasing that girl, right? Uh, like John Doherty once told me, I chased my wife until she caught me. And, uh, you know, he just wants to keep chasing Christ until he's completely captivated by Christ. And, and the reality is this, you know, uh, Bethel means house of God and Ai means ruinous heap. Too often we get caught between the two, don't we? I mean, we're worshiping God, we're building an altar, but we're stuck between where God wants us to go and where we came from. <clears throat> you know, Adam, or Abram, I'm sorry, doesn't stay there too long. He gets down to Egypt, as I mentioned, in Genesis 12, 10 through 20. I'm not going to read all that. And then he finds out that he can't compromise. God won't allow him. He gives up his wife. So him and Sarah had quite the, the marriage there. He's like, oh, here, take my wife. I don't want you to hurt me. Not the, not the brightest character, uh, not the most uh, pristine uh, image of Abram. That's one thing about the Bible, by the way. It tells you like it is. It is what it is. Abram's just like us. He compromised. He was a compromiser at this point. And so God says, okay, I'm not going to put up with this. Finally, it comes to Pharaoh's knowledge that this is, your, this is not his sister, as he purported. It is his wife. And, and so he kicks him out. He says, get out of here, Abram. And then he blesses him on the way out the door. Get, get, get on out of here because we're going to be cursed if we keep this up. So he goes out the door, 
with, with riches and blessing, in spite of himself, uh, Pharaoh realized that Sarah was his wife and his sister and kicks him out with all the riches. So if you look in chapter 12 and go down to verse 18, we'll just kind of pick up the end of that. It says, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why sayest thou she is my sister? So I, I have take, I, So I might have taken her to my wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. He didn't lose a thing. And as you go into chapter 12 or 13, number of rebellion, it says, And Abram went up out of Egypt. Now he's going the right direction. He made a decision to leave the world. You know, maybe this morning that's where you're at as a Christian. You've kind of been compromising. You're straddling the fence. You get excited about the message, but you still got a foot going toward AI and a foot going toward the house of God, and you're kind of riding the fence. Well, God wants you to get, get in the right direction. You gotta, if you want to do that, you've got to get out of the world. You've got to get out of Egypt. You've got to go the other way. You've got to go back to Bethel. Go back to the house of the Lord. And Abram was very rich in cattle, it says in verse, in verse 2, and in silver and in gold. Now he's a very wealthy man. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Look where he goes. He goes back to the house of God. And unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai. But notice he doesn't go between Bethel. He goes back there, and he may stay at Bethel and Ai, but the text is very clear. He goes back to the house of God, the house of God. You know, sometimes people take a journey in life, and it goes away from the house of God. Now, this building is just a building. You know, someday it's going to burn to the ground. But the reality, what's, really, what's really the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. It is the, the called-out believers. This is the, the assembly, the church. That's who we are. And this is the, the household of faith. This is the house of God, uh, the local New Testament church. The household of faith is a little broader, actually, technically. So, but for, for, for illustration purposes uh, and practicality, uh, in this dispensation right now, if you want to draw close to God, you can do that through prayer directly to Him, right? You can get right to Him because He's an advocate and He's a propitiation, so you should do that. But the evidence of that is eventually you're going to draw close to us, right? And we're going to draw close to you. Because fellowship in the body is mandatory. And so we live in an age where everybody's a cowboy baby, and, uh, and they want to do their own thing. But at the end of the day, that's not how God designed it. We need each other. I mean, I couldn't have preached a better message than we heard last week. I mean, that, you just go back, rewind the tape. We just heard about it. Everyone is important. Every member in particular has a beautiful message. It's so true. Why is that important? Because you've got to be part of what God's doing in the local New Testament church. And if not this one, find one that's on fire. If there's a better one, I always tell people that they get mad and leave and say, man, you stink. I'm like, well, great. Tell me where you're going because I want to go there too. So, you know, the bottom line is this, is that God's, God wants you plugged into a Bible-believing local New Testament church that is going somewhere, the house of God. That's why I'm taking all this time to talk about vision. And so in verses 12, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, let me quickly move along here. It says, and I, he gets back to this, the blessing that we talked about. I'm sorry, I, I've got, I got myself off track. I'm well past that. I'm in chapter 13, verses 1 through 4 now. Uh, it says, Abraham went up out of Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him in the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold, and he went on his journeys from the south of Bethel and the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first and there Abram <coughs> called on the Lord or on the name of the Lord you see he is in fellowship with God he's depending on God he is calling upon the name of the Lord so Lot is also along with him he's following his uncle, uncle Abraham from location to location and uh, which is not a bad thing it's a good thing to follow others Paul said follow me as I follow Christ and God puts people in our lives to follow. But there has to be a time, as we talked about in our point last week, where we grow and we mature so that we can walk and stand on our own because God needs us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Genesis 13, we see that Lot makes a fateful decision that will impact him and his seed forever. You see, having a vision update and coming to church on Sunday and going through all of this stuff is not just like academic. It's not just like take some notes and go forget it tomorrow. The things that we're doing here, whether it's in the main worship, it's in the adult Bible fellowships, the word of God that's going out is about God directing his church 
Uh, it's about God directing our lives individually and taking us somewhere. And some of you, I could have some of you come up here and give testimony of what has happened in your life if you go the way of Lot. And you know what? You follow so long, you follow the people at church, you follow the examples, but somewhere along the way, instead of learning to follow God on your own, you fall away. And then you go back to Egypt. You go back to the world. Or you, worse yet, you go back to Sodom. You go to a new, a new fertile field that is not going to bless you at all. And uh, you may never get back once that happens. So be careful the decisions that you make. See, God blessed Abraham and Lot with a lot of riches in spite of their wondering. And you see that as we read in Genesis 12, 1 through 6. Abram and Lot were blessed by God and enriched by the world as they left God and re-entered Canaan. There's nothing wrong with that. God was blessing them all the way along. He wasn't withholding anything from them. He kept pouring the riches on them. He had a plan for them. As a matter of fact, in verse uh, 2, it says, Abram was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. He wasn't just a little rich. He was very rich. The Scripture warns us of the sorrows that earthly riches can bring. You think, man, that's awesome. He was very rich. Well, not necessarily. Because to whom much is given, much is required. You have to steward the things that God gives you. You're very rich. You are very rich. You live in America. I don't care what your status is. You're very rich compared to everyone else on the planet. There's a responsibility that comes with that. Um, and, and, and how do you use that freedom that we used to have, right? And so, and so how do we use the liberty that God's given us, the resources that God gives us, and all the opportunities that we have had in the past? But even today, we have opportunities today. We can go up the highway. I'm, I'm waiting. For, if somebody wants to go minister to Afghan uh, refugees, please come see me. I have an opportunity. And then I just heard yesterday that Ukrainian refugees are coming to town. We don't even have to go around the world. We just got to go up the highway again, just like we did with the Bhutanese. So if you're interested in that, come find me. I'll get you on-ramped. Because God, is, is he wants to bless us with riches. He wants us to see souls saved, not only in America, but all over the planet. And the Scripture warns us that the sorrow of earthly riches can bring many people to think money and possessions can solve their problems. But in reality, riches can multiply our sorrows if we allow them to. That'll make you lose the vision. It will, it'll impede your ability to be ready for the catching away of the church. Man, what a bummer to, the catching away of the church comes and you get before the judgment seat of Christ and you find out, oh man, I invested all of my time, all of my talent, all of my treasure in the wrong thing. It can happen. It can happen. Psalm 62.10 says, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Nothing wrong with having riches, by the way. Just make sure not to set your heart upon them. It's not a sin to have wealth. God's blessing Abraham. He's blessing Lot. But at the end of the day, where's our heart? In 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul said, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Where did your riches come from? They came from God. Our riches come from God. God has blessed us abundantly. Abram chose worship, and Lot chose the world. And that's the difference. That ultimately makes the difference. If you're preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the catching away of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, the, the second coming when we return with him at the end of the tribulation, then guess what? You better be worshiping now because that's what we're going to spend eternity doing. But Lot got off track. He chose the world. Abram is now off the fence. The scripture records that he returned to Bethel, as I've already mentioned, and he was at Beth. He was no longer uh, vacillating, going back to the world. <clears throat> we got to make sure we let go of our past, so that we can get a hold of the promises of God. Some never find peace with God because they don't or they won't follow the Lord's will to the house of God. They only follow God so far, but keep going to the world for fulfillment instead of the promises of God. And it's a bottom line: is it's a trap. It's a trap because this world, we've early on in the sermon series, I mentioned that there's a false peace, there's a false reward as well. And you've got to be careful here, just like there's a false peace. Jesus says, I give you peace, not as the world giveth, give you peace, right? I'm, I don't give you that peace. Well, guess what? There's also a false reward. And we, we're fixing to see Lot get caught up in that. <clears throat> in verses, uh, look at verse uh, 3, and we'll pick it up, from, or verse 5, verse 13. Or chapter 13 and verse 5. That's very confusing. Chapter 13 and verse 5. And Lot also 
which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. He's doing okay. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. I mean, they didn't have enough car garages to put everything in. It was becoming a problem. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's uh, cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if, if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, notice that he lifted up his eyes, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest out of Zoar. And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they departed themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And so Abram is no longer on the fence, and now Lot has made his decision. The house, <coughs> they, they, they have, uh, 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 I'll just stop, uh, hang on, i got to get back where I was at. Some never find peace with God because they don't or won't follow the Lord's will to the house of God. And they don't do what they're supposed to. But you don't have to be counted like that. You see what happens here is uh, a Lot pitches his tent, it says, toward Sodom. He goes east toward Ai. And he's going the wrong direction. Maybe this morning you come and you're going the wrong direction. Maybe you even feel like, well, I'm Lot. I'm bound to go the wrong direction. You don't have to be Lot. You don't. Discipleship does not always end um, like this. It doesn't. And many of you already know how this story ends, so I'm not going to tarry too long on it. But my point is this. You can choose to be different. In the Bible, there are other men that are in similar situations. You know what? They don't go the wrong direction. They stay with God's program. They stay in the house of God, with the house of God. One of those examples is Joshua. Uh, He is following Moses. And I'm not going to look it up for you for time's sake, but if you go back on your own and look up Exodus 33, verses 10 and 11, you'll see that, that Moses is in the, in the tabernacle, and he's worshiping, and he leaves. A Shekinah glory comes down. Everybody's worshiping God. What happened to Joshua? Joshua stayed behind in the tabernacle. Why? He was establishing his own relationship with the Lord. He was making a good decision. Samuel's another example. And he was in a bad situation. Eli wasn't even on fire for God. Hophni and Phinehas were terrible examples. But you know what? That young man ministered in the house of the Lord until God finally got a hold of him and spoke to him. You can go back in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and read the whole story. God got a hold of him. He grew in the Lord, and the Lord was with him, and he, and he didn't let any of the words fall to the ground. And so the Lord, it says in, in 1 Samuel three twenty one, appeared again in Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. He was able to get a word from the Lord when nobody else was getting it. The word was precious in those days. Another example is Timothy. Timothy followed Paul. <clears throat> you know what Paul said about Timothy? He didn't say, you know, Paul, or he didn't say, Timothy, do whatever you want. Go whatever, do whatever you want to do. That's not how he rolled. He knew that Timothy would do exactly like he would do. And he told the church of Philippi in chapter 2, verse 19, which, by the way, is the same uh, area that we get our vision for this church. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. You see, the issue was heart and mind. These men followed men that had a heart for God, discipleship. And then eventually, those men, Joshua, <coughs> um, Samuel, of course, Samuel's example wasn't as good. And Timothy, those men ended up leading the nation or the, or the church in the case of Timothy. They replaced the person in front of them. What do we call that? Discipleship. Discipleship. That's, what we talk, that's how we, I, I ended my last message, talking about our need to deploy the troops. How do we do that? Through discipleship. You don't have to be like Lot. You don't have to be caught in a situation where the things of this world have got you trapped 
and you're, and you're just totally given over to it. At any time, you can decide to come back to the house of God to put the priorities where they need to be in the word of God in the local New Testament church, and God will bless you. And as the days grow darker, you better prioritize the local New Testament church because I'll tell you what, we are going to be the only safe place of peace. And that doesn't mean we're physically safe. That just means we're blessed of God. Lot chose, uh, Lot chose business and politics over the life of a herdman. Many a preacher wanders into the fertile fields of the fatherless when they have left off teaching and tending to the sheep for the business of ministry and the influence of politics. We, find com- we, can, we can get completely immersed in the business of Sodom and Gomorrah before God judges the wickedness. So preachers are just as prone to this as, as anybody. Why? Because they're shepherds. Lot, he had all these herdsmen under him. He was responsible for them. There was no problem with him finding fertile fields. The problem was where he ended up. He obviously exchanged his flock for something else. Because later on, when God actually judges Sodom and Gomorrah, his servants aren't anywhere to be found. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, his servants aren't anywhere to be found. And so make sure you make good decisions. We will not be ready for the return of Christ if we don't prepare our lives <clears throat> to return with Christ. Don't allow relationships to rob you of eternal reward. Don't allow riches to rob you of eternal wealth. And don't allow the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life to rob you of the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. That's preparing your life. You've got to make that decision, but you have people following you, and you need to prepare your home. And so we've read verses 1 through 13 in chapter 13. Make sure you make good choices. The opposite of peace is what? War. That's right. The opposite of peace is war. War breaks out among the brethren in chapter 13. Abram uses separation as a means of reconciliation in verses 7 through 8 as he, as he lets him go his way. He says, you know what? Take whichever way you want. I just want to be at peace. He's a minister of reconciliation. Lot's separation from Abraham reveals his lack of sanctification because he lets what he sees to the east eclipse his, his, uh, his uh, calling of God. And so he goes down and it says in verse 11 that Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east. I mean, he couldn't wait to get down there and get the most fertile field. He didn't think about, well, maybe Uncle Abraham ought to get the most fertile field since he's the patriarch and he's the one that led me here and he's the one God's blessing, not Lot. He's like, let me at it. I want, if you're giving me the choice, I'm going to take what's mine. And of course, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. So while Abraham was claiming his inheritance, Lot was losing his. Now check out what happens in verses 14 through 18 at the end of this chapter. It says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all that the land which thou seest uh, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Look, at, That's an incredible promise. He says, Now, Lot looked down here and saw this, but I need to take you up here, Abraham, and I need you to, I need you to have vision. I need you to look beyond. Now look as far as you can see. It's yours. It's yours. You got it, Abraham. It's all yours, buddy. But not just look and see. Not lift up thine eyes and look from from the place where thou art northward. Right? He says, look around. And then he gives him a promise in verse 16. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed be also numbered. I'm going to give you an innumerable physical seed, Abraham, verse 17. Now, now that I've given you this incredible promise, I need you to arise and walk through the land in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar to the Lord. Of course, he worships the Lord. He says, lift up the eyes and look on what God has promised you. Arise, put on the whole armor of God. Walk the property that God has given you. Trust Him for the reward that He has promised. Travel the world. Take missions trips. Pray for missionaries. Be involved in the mission of God, literally. Why? Because God has died for the world. He gave His Son for this planet, and He is calling us to look around and seize hold of it. Beloved, he gives Abraham this promise. He's not settling for something in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not settling for what this world has to offer. God gives him a promise and a vision that's so much bigger. Why? Because it's a type. 
course, we know God's doing a lot with Abraham as far as the patriarch and, and the type. He's a type of God the Father, as a matter of fact. But he's also, uh, he's also, for us, we can see that it's a type of how God deals with us. When we pass on the things of this earth, when we're gracious with other people, when we're trying to reconcile, you know what? God will bless and our seed after us. It's all about the ministry of reconciliation. It's about reproducing spiritual fruit. Abraham had the promise of his seed becoming a nation. Abraham had the promise of the land. Lot had children, but he lost all but two of his daughters. Lot had choice property, but now it's a dead sea, literally. At length, Lot loses all but his two daughters in the plains of Sodom, and his posterity ends up becoming the enemies of Abraham's chosen seed, though they are related physically. The fruit of his efforts becomes opposition to God. How would you feel if, if you, if say the Lord didn't uh, come and catch us away and the Lord was going to, you know, take history out another couple hundred years and the seed that you produce, physically or spiritually, ends up fighting against God and becoming a problem to God instead of a blessing? That's in essence the heritage of Lot's seed, Moab. It's terrible. Why? Because he made a bad decision and he wasn't going to the house of God. He was going to the world. God forbid that the fruit of your life would rebel and fight against God. Unfortunately, as we draw closer to the tribulation, beloved, this is a reality. This is a prophecy. The Bible tells us in Micah 7, 6, For the son dishonoreth the father, and the daughter riseth against her, her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the, men, <clears throat> are the men of his own house. Do you think it's going to get easier and easier to have a family as the days grow darker? You're kidding yourself. The devil wants control of your family. He wants control of your life. He wants control of your patriarchy. He wants you to be about as effective with your kids as Lot was with his. His kids wouldn't even listen to him. When he says, judgment's coming, Lot believed it. Lot knew it was true, but his kids, they weren't hearing him. They were watching TikTok. They didn't even have a clue. Those who follow Jesus, who follow Joshua, will follow the Lord. Joshua made a proclamation in, in uh, the book of Joshua 24, in verse 20, uh, chapter 24, and verse 15. He says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua, his very name means Jesus. He's, he's saying, look, I can only work with those who will be in my house. As for me and my house, the house of God, those are the people I'm going to work with. As for your house, I can't, talk, I can't speak for you, but me and my house, this is where we're going. Let me ask you this morning, are you on board with Jesus? Are you walking by faith or, or walking by sight? Right? Are you, are you preparing for what's ahead or are you stuck with the things of this world? Where is our heart at this morning? So those, those two things are really important. We've got to prepare our life and we've got to prepare our house. But the, the, I want to end on this, and we'll be done in just a moment. The last thing here is that we need to prepare the church. Now, point one in your outline, be at peace while the world is at war. These, these are some practical lessons we can leave with. Look in verse 1 of chapter 14. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Chedlamor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shenab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zoboam, and king of uh, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. I can barely get through that. Verse three: All these were joined together in the vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedlamor, and in the thirteenth uh, year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year came Chedlamor and the kings that were with them, and smote the, the Rephaims in Ashertroth, uh, Carnaim, and the and the Zuzums in Ham, and the Emums in Sheva, Karathaim, and the Horites in the Mount Seir, and unto El Parzon, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishphat, which is at Kadesh, and smote the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwell in Azanatamar. And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. So if your eyes just glazed over, and you're like, what in the what? I, I understand. 
But what's going on here is you have an international conflict. You have, a, you have Gentile powers jockeying for position around uh, the promised land. Nobody's even paying attention to the fact that God has already promised all of this to Abraham. And the Gentile powers are just fighting and they're stretching and they're pulling and they're pushing. And then at the end of this little list, we have these three mega powers. These big guys come in. And, uh, and, they're, and, they're, and, and the, the five kings of the area of Sodom uh, and Gomorrah, that, that valley down there, they all gather together and they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to defend ourselves against this army. It's quite an international conflict. <clears throat> and so you see down in verse uh, 9, with, with Chedla, uh, they went to battle in the Vale of Sidon, verse 8, with Chedlamor, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of uh, Elasar, four kings with five. And the Vale of Sidon was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the victuals and went their way. So they're out. It's no big deal. It's over. I mean, they're just rolling in, rolling over these, this Confederate army. So you got these five city-states. They can't even stand against this, these armies, and they're done. They're cooked. Their goose is cooked. But you know who you don't see in this, in this scenario yet is Abraham. Abram. Abraham's nowhere to be found. Now, he's right next door watching all this. He's probably up on the mountaintop going, oh, look at them armies. That's a big, that's a big conflict going on down there. Of course, you know he's concerned about his, his nephew Lot. But there's no indication Abraham is involved in any way in the affairs of the world. He's already got his promise from God. He's not caught up in all the drama that's going on around him. He is focused on what God is going to do with his seed. He knows that this is his land. They're all fighting over it, But at the end of the day, God's going to give me this land. God's going to prosper. God is in control. Now, how many of you this morning believe that Jesus is coming back? Amen. Beloved, you're right there with Abraham. There's a lot. There's literally fighting going on as I speak right now in in, uh, in uh, Europe. We could be, and we are. We're in a Cold War situation. All of a sudden, proxy wars going on. All of that. It's all back. That could cause you to lose sleep at night. When we were little kids, right? We had to hide and do the nuclear test drills, all that stuff, right? All the all the Cold War stuff and all the proxy wars. It's terrible. But you know what? God's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger plan. Abraham was tuned in. He wasn't caught up in these things. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That stuff will bog you down. Abraham has his affection set on things above. A regional war was erupting, but he didn't lift a finger to engage in it. And this is as close to world wars you're going to get at that time in history. All the Middle East was engaged in this conflict, and Abraham's just sitting back. The big three kingdoms... Amraphel, who's the king of Shinar, which is Babylon, Chedlamor, king of Elam, which is West Iraq and Syria, and Tidal, the king of nations, the nomadic Gentile nations that had spread uh, from the time of Babel, a picture of the United Nations. They're all there together to fight. And those five Confederate kings get whipped. You know what? When the world is at war, God's people need to be at peace. I think somebody's been preaching about that. Be at peace, be ready to deploy the gospel but also be ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, I've been talking about Neville Chamberlain, and one of the things I've been saying is you've got to be ready for war even when you're at peace, right? If you want to have peace, you've got to be ready for war. Or reverse that statement, point two, be ready for war even when you are at peace. Be ready for war when you're at peace. What do you do when you're at peace? Well, you go to the lake, you go hang out, you waste your time. Watch television, whatever. No, you prepare for war. Abraham's no fool. He knows that God has given him, ultimately, all the keys. Beloved, I just, I just hope you see what God has done with his bride, the church. We're not, we are sons of God, but we're also the bride of Christ. We are one with Christ. If there's anyone the devil hates in this world, it's us. That's why we behave ourselves wisely. That's why we, 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 uh, we understand that. We believe that. We know that's the truth. There's not a Marxist country on the planet that has not persecuted Christians explicitly because they hold fast to a Bible that gives them rights to the planet and for us even more. We get Jesus. Remember what he said. Neville Chamberlain said, Oh, this peace is guaranteed. 
but he couldn't guarantee the peace because he wasn't prepared for war. This is not the case for Abraham. Notice what draws Abraham into battle. By the way, sometimes you cannot avoid the conflict. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably. There comes a point with Abraham where he can hold back no more. Like Popeye. I, how does he say that? I can't. I can't, yeah, I can't stands no more. You know, and he, then he gets the Popeye uh, juice going, the spinach, and he's out after it. And I've really dated myself. But that's how I used to be entertained when I was young. <clears throat> you can't ta- take it. Genesis 14, 12. And they, who are they? Those that invaded Sodom and Gomorrah, took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelled in Sodom, and his goods... And departed, and there came one that escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, and the Amorite brother of Eshcol, the brother of Anar, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed, he didn't say he trained him, they were already trained. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Now, if you look at a map, and I didn't put one up, but if you look at where Dan is, that's quite a route. He chases them all the way to the north side of Israel. I mean, he's going, he's going north, all the way to the border of Syria. That's a long haul, but it doesn't stop there. He ends up splitting his forces and, and, uh, and uh, strategically attacking them. But Abram had a peaceful posture until his family was threatened, which is exactly what Romans twelve eighteen says. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will replay, saith the Lord. I think Abram was very happy to let that all work itself out until someone that he personally uh, was responsible for, his, his brother's son, got involved. And then, of course, he goes to battle with his trained servants. The conflict had gone too far when his family was taken hostage. Now, Abram, a nomadic sheep herder, <laughs> executes one of the greatest military campaigns you've never heard of in the Bible with 300 uh, with 300 uh, and um, servants, 18 men, his servants from his house that were born in his house. Abram was training his servants while Lot was losing his. Abram was, Abram was training his servants while Lot was losing his. In verses 15 and 16, that's what you see. In, Gen- in Genesis 14, 15, it says, And he divided himself against them and his servants by night, and he smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Now think about this logically. If Abram had 318 trained servants that were ready to deploy and can chase a Confederate army all the way up to Dan and then divide up and take them all the way up, all the way up to Damascus, Syria and conquer them, 300 men, in the chapter before, Lot had so many men and so much cattle, the herdsmen were arguing and fighting. What happened to his men? They went to the world. You see, Lot's leadership not only affected him, it affected all the men that were serving under him. Beloved, if you're a father, it's a big deal, man. The house is going to go the way you go. If you go down to Sodom, guess what? Your kids are going to go to Sodom. If you go to the house of the Lord, your kids are going to go to the house of the Lord. And I tell you what, it's not just about you delivering you, it's about you delivering others. This 300 people at Heartland, right? Not yet, but there was, kind of goes up and down. Guys, you don't know the impact you could have on the world. But we won't have an impact if we aren't serious about discipleship. That's why I get up and I stomp up and down and I was like, you got to be at the training, you got to be part of discipleship, you got to be a disciple. You gotta... It's not to push you through a series of lessons. It's not to get you through a regiment. It's to get you trained because there's real battles to fight. There's real souls at stake and people need to be saved and we are the ones that inherit Christ. We are his bride. It's so exciting, isn't it? We have the vision. We're not going to settle for the world. We're not going to settle for all the trinkets. I mean, we got a bigger vision than that. And that's why this is part of the vision statement. God wants us to be victorious. Abram was training his servants while Lot lost his. Notice Lot didn't have those servants. He didn't have anyone to defend him. The influence of the fertile plain took everything he had. 
And that was not the case for Abram, with his 318 trained servants already ready for battle long before they needed to be. They arose and struck out and pursued that army all the way to Syria, modern-day Syria, where Damascus sits to this day. He divided, divided his forces and defeated them soundly. I'll tell you what, I bet Russians better hope the Ukrainians don't have 318 herdsmen like that. Abraham <clears throat> had an army that put them to flight. And he used his time at peace to prepare for war. But point four, be prepared to meet the king. Chapter 14 ends right here, and this is where I want to wrap this up. Look at this. And the king of Sodom went out to meet, after, <clears throat> meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedlamor and of the kings that were with him in the vale of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. <laughs> they get, he gets to meet Melchizedek. He brings bread and he brings wine. I love this passage. And then it goes on to say, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram the, the mo- of, the, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. You know, ne- Melchizedek knows what Abraham knows, that he is here to inherit heaven and earth through his seed. All nations will be blessed. His seed's innumerable. Melchizedek says, Hey, blessed be Abram. He's the man. He brings wine, he brings bread, and he brings a blessing. And then lastly, it says, and blessed, uh, he says, And blessed be the Most High, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So Abraham ends up offering a, a tithe back to Melchizedek. Now this is before the law. The king of Sodom came to meet Abram. The king of peace uh, came forth to reward Abram with nourishment. The king of Sodom comes out to make a deal. The king of the king of peace, Melchizedek, comes out and he says, hey, I just want to give you some bread. I want to give you some wine. I want to give you a blessing. Do you understand the God that you serve, Jesus Christ, as our high priest? You know what he wants to provide you? He wants to provide you not just victory. He wants to provide you your nourishment. He wants to provide you your joy. Wine's a type of the spirit. He wants to provide you uh, a blessing. He wants us to be successful more than we do. Man, we had a, a meeting a few weeks ago about tithing and giving. Man, that's nothing for a God that's so gracious to us. Giving tithes, man, we should give him everything. Maybe we should live on a tithe. Notice Melchizedek, this king of Salem. Salem means what? Anybody know? Peace. The city of Salem becomes Jerusalem. This is about a city. But the Bible tells us Abraham's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He's looking beyond Salem. He's looking beyond Jerusalem. And he's looking for New Jerusalem. Beloved, that's what we get to inherit. New Jerusalem. And this priest, who I believe is Shem, some think it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I won't argue that either way. But the bottom line is Abram is a man of peace being rewarded by the king of peace. After fighting a battle, he prepared for in a time of peace. He prepared for in a time of peace. So I just want you to see some parallels between Abram's faith and our faith. Our job while being stationed here as ambassadors of peace is to be shepherds. And that's what Jesus has, has done. He transforms us uh, from sinners to fishermen. And from fishermen, he calls us into being shepherds. And we grow and we change our identity. We, we are to train faithful men who teach others also in accordance with 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. We are to have the mind of warriors as Ephesians 6 makes it clear, and we're to be fully armed with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We look like shepherds, but we fight. We fight like soldiers. Right now, our responsibility is simply that as ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are here to bring the peace. We're not to get involved in all the conflicts. We're here to bring the gospel of peace because we know that we will settle the score in Revelation 19. We are here to train people who will follow Jesus. We do everything we do to avoid conflict, but when necessary, we will defend our families and the flock. We will not take anything from this world other than that which is necessary to conduct our business. Abraham's not having it, man. The king, uh, <clears throat> the king of Sodom comes and says, hey, let me bless you. He's like, I'm not interested in your blessings. I don't want to owe you. Beloved, some of us owe the world so much, and I'm guilty too. I got a mortgage 
and I got some bills. But we owe the world so much, we're no earthly good. Abram's like, no, I am not going to get tied down to this world. But you know whose blessing he did receive? He received Melchizedek's blessing. Do you know whose side you're on? You better side up. Because when war comes, you got to be on the right side. And you better be riding with Jesus. We'll not take anything from this world other than what's necessary to conduct our business. We give all honor to the King of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me boil it down to this. The prophecy that you need to, to have during this time is a, a time of, of uh, need to prepare for during this time of peace is very real. This very moment, there's a war raging in Europe as Russia expands its influence into Ukraine. There are battles that will continue as God allows Gentile history to play out. Ultimately, it will come down to a battle for the planet. The largest war in the world has yet to be had. It's a war that will usher in a thousand-year peace on this planet. And beloved, if you're born again, you're part of it. Are you being trained? Are you trained and are you training others? What we do today through the ministry of discipleship, training our trained servants, and tending the sheep will result in our ability to be prepared for the battle of of that coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you can be a soldier, you must be a shepherd. And before you can be a shepherd, you must become a fisher of men. And before you become a fisher of men, you've got to be a follower of Christ. You've got to be a son of God. And notice Abraham gave back to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, after the battle. There is coming a day when we will be called out of here at the rapture of the church, at the catching of the way. We, we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, and we will cast our crowns at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will give back to him the glory that he deserves. And after we're judged for those things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, and we'll, we'll be nourished at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19.9. And then we will return to bring peace to the earth through war. Literally, it'll be the war to end all wars. And it really will be an enduring peace. It will last a thousand years before Satan is ultimately judged and cast into the lake of fire. Today, we look at our inheritance. We see it. But what is the vision at HBF? You're going to be hearing about it right on into the vision conference. We're going to be talking about answering the call, answering the call. Abraham was called. I submit to you, Lot was called. Lot went the wrong direction. Answer the call to go. Take the gospel intentionally where God calls you to go. Answer the call to own the mission. Answer the call of God while you have time. And if you're not prepared, get prepared because that's what we do at HBF is we make disciples that make disciples that at a moment's notice can go to war with the gospel and get things done for Jesus that you can't even ask or think. Now, I'm not saying that we can do that, our little church, but we can if God calls us to it, he'll get us through it. In the meantime, we take advantage of the peace that we have to do what we're here to do, which is train people in the word of God to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. And so today we look at our inheritance and we walk it out. We get on airplanes and we fly to distant places. We go here and there. Why? Because we know what the Bible teaches us. We know what the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, tells us, which is that he owns this planet. He purchased this whole whole planet with his blood. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's his. And it's our job to get out and declare it to believe it and let Satan know. I mean, Satan already knows this, so I don't, I don't want to challenge Satan to be frank with you. But this planet is not his. And eventually, this is going to be so contested, the sovereignty of God versus the sovereignty of Satan, that it's going to come to blows. Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready for the judgment seat of Christ? Are you going to be ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are you going to be ready to return in that day? Well, you have looked beyond what's in front of you, beyond what's on social media, beyond all the technology, and looked at what's really going on in life so that you can be ready for what God has for you. If not, why not? Get ready. The time to prepare is now. The place to prepare. Where is the place to prepare? The local New Testament church. And the plan you need to prepare is discipleship. You'll not be prepared for peace if you're not prepared for war. All throughout the Old Testament, God used the number 300 to bring great victory. Abraham had 318. Gideon had 300 men. In Gentile history, there were 300 Spartans that fought off the Persians. Why? Because that's just how God chooses to do it. Beloved, we got, we're out here in a cow field. But I believe with all my heart 
that God wants us to make disciples discreetly and continue to accomplish God's mission and God's power for his glory till he comes. And when he comes, man, it is going to be so, so glorious. Don't let the things of this world distract you. Don't be lot. Don't walk. Don't let your faith be eclipsed by sight. Continue to look beyond what's in front of you and look, get up on the mountain with God and look far beyond and see what God has for you. If you want to get up that and get that elevation where you can see and have vision, this is where you're going to find it. And where there is no vision, the people perish. The people perish. Just like with Lot. His servants perished. His wife perished. His kids all but two perished. It's all gone. His wealth was gone. It was all gone. He finds himself in a cave in an incestuous relationship with his daughters. It's a mess. Don't let your life end up in a mess. Follow God. Get involved in the local church. Get where you need to be. Get prepared, get trained, get equipped. So your mind and your heart is fixed. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't wander down to Egypt every so often. <laughs> but the bottom line is this. You've you got to get to Bethel, the house of God, because that's where you're going to be forever. New Jerusalem, Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. Beloved, that's where our inheritance, that's where we're headed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to finish up this uh, discussion of vision and our need to look past the first